Hello, and welcome to the Wavemakers podcast. Thanks for tuning in, and thanks to the American Shoreline Podcast Network for housing the show. Back in December, when I had my friend and CEO of Earthwise, Jim Mullins, on the show, we talked about how 18 million tons of plastics make their way into the ocean every year. And in spite of many of us preaching refuse, reduce, reuse, recycle, we're not having much of a dent on this super pressing issue that affects our oceans and our marine wildlife, our food chain, and because we're part of this planet, us. One thing I've learned from talking to the founder of the company we feature today is that actually there's a massive amount of floating plastic in the ocean that's a widespread product that's not so widely visible because it's literally meant to be under the surface for a time anyway. Get this, fishing nets. Yeah, all kinds of fishing nets and lines and gear, and it's all made from plastic. While these are a necessity for food supply and many people's livelihoods, what happens when these nets wear out and need to be replaced? Or as another past guest on the show, Courtney Upshog said, they sometimes get dragged away by currents or other ships working in the same waters. I've seen with my own eyes nets getting wrapped in boat propellers and sucked into ships' thrusters and even dragged across fragile reefs. These ghost nets, as they're referred to, kill millions of marine animals every year. Sharks, sea lions, turtle, fish, you name it. Not all of the nets used get dumped into the ocean, of course. I know from my time at sea, we'd pull into ports all over the world, and no matter what continent I was on, I definitely saw tangled mountains of fishing nets taking up space on a dock or in a lot at the back of the port. Seems like a totally unsustainable fishing practice for a plethora of reasons, some of which I didn't even know about and still don't before speaking to founder Nicole Baker and her colleague Sarah Aubrey of Net Your Problem. Their company is one of the companies working towards a solution, finding ways to divert the nets before they end up in landfills or in the ocean. Here to tell us more about it all is the head of business development, Sarah Aubrey. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the show. Hi, Tamara. Good morning. How are you feeling today? We're really excited to have you on Wavemakers. Yeah, thanks. I'm excited to be here. Well, why don't you start with telling us a little bit about your background? You know, how, how did you get here? Why did you get here? Yeah, so... Um... I went to school for conservation biology, and I had an emphasis in marine science. I went to grad school in the Virgin Islands and did some fisheries management and uh, created some management plans for marine parks over there. And then I moved to Puerto Rico and ended up opening a surf and yoga hostel, which was fun. And that's where I met our founder, Nicole. She was in grad school in Puerto Rico at the time. And yeah, just kind of kept in touch and started working with her when I moved back to California in 2019. That's fantastic. So you kind of were following your heart and your dream. I mean, going to school in the Virgin Islands sounds pretty good. And uh, living in Puerto Rico, I, I love that adventurous spirit that eventually leads you to something really meaningful to do. Yeah, like anything, you know, it's all about the relationships that you build and connections that you make, definitely. Fantastic. And tell me a little bit about um, what you and Nicole have going on, what you're setting up with Net Your Problem. And, and we can get into the why, what inspired all this. Well, you know, there's a lot of things going on in the world today, a lot of problems that we face. And 
not your problem is a solution oriented approach, right? To something super pressing, arguably one of the most imminent threats to our planet uh, is plastic waste. And it just feels good to know that there's this material and it can be used for something else and it could help keep more greenhouse gases from entering the environment, can help lessen impacts other places and still make products that are very necessary for us to use. So we go into fishing communities and we kind of figure out what are the intrinsic motivation to get people to change their behaviors and what they've been doing because fishing gear is mostly made of plastic and it can be recycled. So I really want to I want to step back for just a second because you mentioned about what a pressing issue it is and you know how it's threatening our our ocean and climate um it being plastic. But can I can we expand on that for a minute cuz I think one of my main goals with this podcast is to touch on these issues and how they affect people and why we should care. So talk about that for a moment. You said about greenhouse gases and plastics being a real problem. Why? So we make about 359 million pounds of plastic every year as, as a planet. And that's 60 million African elephants, if you put that all in one spot. And because plastic is something that doesn't biodegrade, or not very quickly at least, uh, that those 359 million pounds accumulate year after year after year, which ends up to be, you know, like a huge, a huge chunk. And if we can get that plastic uh, turn into something else instead of sitting in the landfill or ending up in any way in the environment. Uh, it's just kind of a, a, a cool solution, you know? People get resources and materials that they need and plastic doesn't end up somewhere we don't want it to be. <laughs> yeah, of course. So, it, I mean, plastic breaks down and just keeps breaking down and breaking down into tiny little pieces, as I understand it, microplastics, which eventually end up in our systems through, uh, I mean, seabirds are definitely suffering from, from intake of microplastics and, of course, all the other marine life, and then we eat the fish. So uh, I think we hear a lot about Yeah, we, we, we breathe it in the air, actually. Oh, wow. We're breathing. They found it all in our lungs. It's in our blood. <laughs> oh, made of plastic. It's not just Barbie anymore. No, it's just Barbie anymore. <laughs> well, and what about the the effect on greenhouse gases that you mentioned? So, plastic is made from from oil, right? And you have to extract crude oil in order to manufacture virgin plastic, and that not only creates more oil used in the environment, but takes a lot of energy to do that. So when you use recycled plastic, you're basically preventing that extra emissions, that extra oil from entering the environment because you just use something that's already there. The economy now that we work with is primarily a linear where we got the take, make, waste model, right? Take, make, waste. 
Got it. Yeah, the take make waste. And the circular economy is basically take, make, make again. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot less taking going on there. Oh, I like, I always like the sound of that. Um, and if you're reusing it and a lot of people say upcycling, for instance, then you're not having to make more or the oil that we need can be made into things that do need to be remade, like more important things, medical equipment. I mean, there are, there is a time and a place for plastic. So, um, yeah, I love that you guys are tackling the, the things that that doesn't need to, to force to be re freshly produced virgin plastic. Okay. I got it. That's a new term on the show. So glad you brought it up. Oh yeah. Virgin plastic. Yeah. Brand new. <laughs> Never before held in anybody's hand. Oh. Well, tell me a bit about the, the nets and how you guys are talking. You were going into the fishing villages and, and seeing how you could address things with fishermen. How are you motivating people to reuse nets or uh, tell me about it? Uh, yeah. So fishing gear is usually pretty large and pretty expensive. So fishermen do a good job about repairing and using it up until basically it's kind of falling apart. And that's where we try to come in. You know, <clears throat> people are going through their gear at the beginning and the end of the fishing season. And we try to figure out what is the easiest way to get them to send it to us. So, um, so it's easy to keep doing the same thing that you've always done if you don't realize there's a better way. So Super. You're providing that option. And you guys breathe new life into it. I love it. Um, when I was speaking to Nicole, that was one thing that stuck out to me. I was always hearing about ghost nets and um, oh, discarded gear and such. But there's like different terms for everything. There's a lot of different terminology for all the gear when it's done. Would you mind talking a little bit about that? Seems I know you're kind of the supply chain expert over there. Yeah, so I, I think you're talking about the acronym ALDFG, which the A stands for abandoned, the L stands for lost, the D stands for discarded fishing gear, and that's kind of all the stuff that usually when you're doing beach cleanups or ocean cleanups that they're referring to that gear that was floating around in the ocean and and we try and get to it before it ever gets to that point while it's still in the possession of the fisherman while they're still managing it and get them to transfer that control of it over to us and we refer to that as end of life like end of its useful fishing life that's super. Of course, that makes total sense. Turn off the tap. Don't just keep putting it in there and then create more of a struggle to get it out. And as I understand it, once you pull the nets out of the ocean, it's not they're not that usable. It's a much bigger deal to to give them new life. Yeah, there's there's something called biofouling where marine organisms start growing on the fishing gear that's been in the ocean or, or the plastic. And it really messes with the structural integrity. And when you're trying to convince people to do something different because their gear could be something useful, it's really important that the product 
that we give the recyclers is something that makes, you know, that has good integrity, good structural integrity, is able to be changed and molded into the type of plastic products that they want to make. So it's really important to keep what we collect and give to them a good quality. Because if there's not demand for what we're collecting, then... Then you're at an impasse yet again. Yeah. So you guys can go in and sort of help fishing villages set up a system to or something to do with their fishing gear at end of life? Yep, yep, yep. We figure out the types of plastic. We figure out uh, nearby recyclers that want it, you know, that want to work with it, whose machines and capabilities can handle that type of material because it's, um, especially the ropes and stuff, you know, you can imagine it's meant to catch fish. So it catches up in all their equipment if they don't have the right specialized equipment. So that's kind of a challenge and the different pieces of plastic that it's made of it's not all one type of plastic which one of the reasons why recycling rates in general are so low is is people aren't quite sure what to recycle and they want to recycle because it feels good so they do the wishful recycling where they just put everything in the blue bin but what that does is contaminate it and make it none of it recyclable right because we just don't have the time and energy in municipal waste streams to sit there and pick and sort every little thing out, right? So uh, your part of what you're putting in your blue bin is is really important. And the same way that we have to collect and process the fishing gear, right? Make sure it's not contaminated so that we have a good quality product that can be made into something new. That's fantastic. So you go in there and you're sort of creating that waste management system that doesn't exist in places. You're playing that, that middleman. If it doesn't exist, you try and help figure out the supply chain. Talk, how do you, I don't know, incentivize the fishermen or talk to them, create those relationships? So I, it sounds like, just like everybody else, we want to do the right thing and the fishermen want to do the right thing. It's, as you said, with the blue bin, sometimes it's hard you think you're doing the right thing. Yeah, well, I mean, it it's about finding the right types of locations, right? Convenient locations. It's it's about finding the frequency of how often do we have to get this stuff? It's about managing it so we don't end up with a bunch of other trash in where we're collecting um and it's about getting those really pillars of the community to set the example and show their colleagues and and other fishermen that this here's something else responsible that we can do to protect the environment that we make our living off of, you know? So, you find that the fishermen are are readily on board to be part of programs once they're offered? They're really on board, but what I found is a lot, they work really hard, you know, they work really hard. They're up at sunrise and out fishing and they get back late and they got to clean everything up just to go do it all over again the next day. So you have to take into account what else they have going on in their life to make their business function and figure out a way that you can get that behavior change 
without throwing a wrench in all the other stuff they have going on. That makes a lot of sense to me. I, uh, I'm really careful with, with friends of mine, you know, busy moms that are using plastic products. I don't want to just swoop in and be like, you shouldn't do that. You need to find ways to help it fit into people's lifestyles. And especially when it's a business, as you say, fishermen are, it's their livelihood. So sounds great that you guys are, are trying to help find the right solution for them. Um, what kind of, I guess, where have your projects been? What kind of successes have you had? So we started out uh, in Alaska. Those are, are the biggest fisheries in the United States. They all are located up in Alaska. Um, we've got some projects like with some Native American tribes up there uh, with a couple different ports and, and fishing areas and partnered with some really cool nonprofits that have been doing environmental work in the area. And then we expanded to collect some stuff in California. There was a, a gear ban, so they were switching out one type of gear for swordfish um, to another one. So all that stuff needed to be destroyed or, or thrown away. So we got that recycled. Um, we do a lot of stuff in Maine uh, with the lobster fishery. And now we're expanding to the lobster and stone crab fishery in the Florida Keys. Ah, okay. So the next step is is Florida. You've made your way from west to east. Made our way, yeah. I was I was there a couple weeks ago. Got some good info. It was, you know, it's it's similar. We work in some really small islands in Alaska that are remote and really tiny, and don't have a lot of capacity. You know, all of the waste goes to a transfer station and then gets transported really far away. So makes what we do even more valuable so you're not trucking this garbage all around the country. Right. That, that makes sense. You guys find the local solutions. And I'm sure this is creating jobs and, and local workforce opportunities, economic boosts. I think you have a lot of knock-on effects when you do something like this. Yeah, we always have local representatives that that we pay and support so people have on the ground someone they could trust and and coordinate with. And I think that's a really big part of our successful programs. So your messaging and your messenger, would you say? Yeah, yep. I was thinking about that. Like if you're not fishermen or you didn't come from the fishing industry sometimes – I would imagine it's hard to step in and present something new. So um, what kind of partners have you worked with? I, I have a lot of questions. I want to come back to the regulation you mentioned as well. But we'll let's go the partner route because that's fun. Who are you working with? And You, you know, a lot, a lot of unlikely partners. There's a construction company that gives us some space and let us use some of their equipment for loading stuff. We had a brewery donate a parking lot for us to store stuff and process before we were able to get in a container and sent out where it needed to go. You kind of never know who's, who's going to be an underwater friend that just has some sort of either space or management or a crew of people who get good shipping rates. 
Who knows? I love that, Sarah. I work with a lot of startups in this ocean tech space. And I think that's one of my favorite things I see is the the magic of putting people in different silos into a room and seeing what happens. Like you never know who might actually be the right people to work with and who might have an idea that sparks, oh, well, we didn't even think of it that way. So sure. Um, or, or opportunities like you mentioned, having space, sharing space. Uh, that's a really big deal. I'm glad you brought that up. Sarah, are you an all-female team at Net Your Problem? Yes, yes, we are. Yes, we are. Big bad boss ladies making big moves. <laughs> That's something to be proud of. What else would you say have you got that you've achieved you're so proud of? Well, a few months ago, we just hit a million pounds of fishing gear recycled, which, which is a huge milestone. A lot of hard work, a lot of a lot of connections. We were really excited about that. Very cool. Very huge achievement. <laughs> did you did you put the word out to everybody that you managed to do that? Yeah, I was I was uh, getting the press release ready and trying to figure out how to make this relatable to people because a million is a big number, <laughs> you know. So I was like, oh, how many blue whales is that? Well, Big whales are enormous, and it was only three blue whales, but it's big. That's impact. You would want to see three blue whales not doing well, so if you could. Right, yeah. Would you say you've had some pitfalls or failures in the past? Can you talk a little bit about overcoming those? Yeah, well, some of this gear is just... It's huge, you know. And sometimes we're working with nets that are a mile long and really, really labor intensive to get it cleaned up and get the type of, of materials separated into those different components in order to make it recyclable and turn it into stuff. And it, it really has to be a, a game of figuring out you know, not only what is the best solution for that material type, but for that area, for the limits of transportation, for the limits of storage, for the limits of what the plastic market is doing. There's a lot of factors that have to come into play when you're deciding. We we use the waste hierarchy, right, which shows the the least preferred to the most preferred methods of, of disposal, depending on what's best for the environment and reduces at the top, right? Use less, then it's reuse, then it's recycled and it's incineration for energy and it's just incineration and last is landfill. So we kind of go over cost of the program how high can we get up on that waste hierarchy? And then what what do we do to be able to offer something consistent so we don't get all this momentum going and get people to do something different this year, but then not be able to offer the same thing next year? Because it's, it's a lot of work to get people to change what they're already doing. You know, if you ever try to create a new habit, it's, it's some effort, you know? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And once you get that momentum going, don't let it go. 
Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and people, you know, they want to see, okay, I, I changed now what, you know, so they want to feel good about that effort. So what kind of uh, like products have, have you been able to create with the, with the fishing nets that you've been able to collect and recycle? Well, my, my favorite thing, I have this bikini top made of old fishing nets and it's, I'm a surfer and it's, a beautiful color and everything stays exactly where it's supposed to be and looks really good. And I feel like it, it, it makes me catch more waves. Too. <laughs> it's just that good feeling. <laughs> the ocean's happy, right? It's like, oh, right. <laughs> Confidence and, and the happy ocean. I love it. That's too cool. <laughs> Very neat. So clothing, I have heard about some, some people working with clothing companies and I know you, um, mentioned a women's clothing company when we spoke before. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of great companies making stuff. It's that rash guard or or swimsuit material is made of nylon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people are making sunglasses and phone cases and the plastic bill of hats and pretty much anything made of plastic you can imagine can be made of recycled plastic. I really liked you mentioned to me that you had a, a group helping you make um, crab gauges to measure crabs. Oh yeah, that that was really fun. We collected some some crab line from a beach cleanup up in coastal Washington, and there's a plastics innovation program at Northwest University, and the students there helped us figure out what kind of additives. What do we need to put into these old lines and extrude them into pellets and we turn it into a crab gauge, which is basically a piece of plastic that measures, hey, this size is a legal crab, you know, this size, you got to put them back in and wait till next year. How cool is that? That was pretty cool. Way to give, ba- give back and, and that's working with the university. So another partner on the list. What about the state of Washington, for instance? I wanted to get into that a little bit. Just um, what kind of help do you get from local government and policymakers? Is there anything that you would? We've got we've um, had some really really nice conversations um, with some senators from Alaska uh, about the plastic waste problem and what kind of barriers uh, help make our job harder, you know? How, how can we make our job easier and be able to efficiently recycle more plastic? That's kind of what we're doing is just a little microcosm for the big plastic world, right? Let's tackle this little piece and we'll keep, we'll keep going once we figure this one out. Perfect. What are the suggestions? What do you need? So... A huge barrier to the circular economy in general and, and using more recycled plastic because it, it just makes sense. You know, it doesn't make sense to go dig a hole and get the stuff and make it new every time when, when you could have it right there in a bin, you know, you just put to the side in your house. Um, but one of the huge barriers is that plastic is subsidized because it's made of oil 
and the oil industry is subsidized by the government to, you know, billions and billions of dollars every year so that it can keep energy production costs low. And because energy production costs are low, it helps businesses run their factories and manufacturing and, and do things that are important for our economy. But there's no distinction between oil that gets used for energy and then oil that's used to make a plastic product that someone sells uh, and makes a profit of, off of just the product. So it ends up being that virgin plastic is a lot cheaper than recycled plastic because it's subsidized by the government to be cheap. Um, and if we could somehow decouple things that are made of plastic from the energy industry, we could use some of those subsidies to help get the infrastructure and the efficiency of recycling plastic up to a point where it makes more economic sense. It makes a lot of environmental sense, but it doesn't make a ton of economic sense, which is why not a lot of people are tackling that problem. Sure. Or not yet anyway. Just need to get our regulators involved and help help push things along. Yeah. You did mention before also, um, actually just well said, by the way, like, decoupling the subsidies from the energy and the plastic side makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I really like the way you put that. And then you mentioned earlier about a gear ban in California, and that made it possible to, to collect a lot of the nets that were being retired. What, uh, what type of regulation was that? How, how did that happen? Yeah, so that was in the drift gill net fishery. It uh, was a type of nylon net that they used to catch swordfish. And they were finding a lot of bycatch, which means you're catching stuff that you're not meaning to catch in those nets. So there was a bunch of different groups that worked to make changes to the type of gear you were allowed to use. And the fishermen had the option of turning in their permit and stopped fishing that damaging gear early and get it destroyed. So we were the official net destruction entity <laughs> to make sure that those nets were never used to fish again, right? So, yeah, that's kind of how I start, got started, collected and processed those. It's a pretty neat title to have, the official net destruction entity. <laughs> yeah. Very good. So creating a better infrastructure along with the regulation can really help you make things efficient and therefore more economical to, to really put these systems into place. And then everybody wins in the end because we still get really great products out of... of what's already been used. I, I think the circular economy sounds good. You make it sound good. It's my favorite. <laughs> what would you say in the next one to three years, what would you hope to see circular economy-wise? Of course, in the context of fishing gear and what you're working on. Yeah, well, you know, policies that help businesses that are doing the right thing do the right thing. 
Is there somewhere else you'd like to head? I know you said you're gonna you're starting in Florida. What would be your next aspirational port? Yeah, we, we so there's there's uh, the top fifty ports in the U.S. Uh, as far as fisheries landings are kind of where we focus our our business development on. And after this Florida program gets going, we're going to be focused in the Gulf of Mexico. There's a lot of shrimp nets there. And yeah, so we're going to focus on that fishery and that body of water. There's a lot happening in the Gulf. I know along Gulfport, uh, Mississippi, they're doing a lot by way of trying to become more sustainable in all of these um, ocean industries. So I think that's a great, great aspiration. Um, Can I ask you how many ports of those 50 biggest ports in the U.S., how many are you already working with? I think we're in about 15 right now. That's pretty good. And when, when did you guys yeah. start? When did Net Your Problem really get to work? 2017 was when the first load of, of nets got recycled. That's fantastic. You guys are on a roll. I, uh, I'm going to, before we wrap up, just wanted to kind of let you reiterate what's the mission and, and what's your call to action for people? What can everybody do to help push these things along? Yeah, well, I... I get asked this question a lot and I think the best answer there is is not one for that's going to necessarily help net your problem specifically but when you think about what's really important to you and things that you're really passionate about and really resonate with you to find something that feels good to you, that's in your mind is going to be the easiest way that you can make a change about it, right? So if you're really into forests and you want to use recycled paper because forests are really your thing and you go camping every weekend in the forest and, you know, that's going to be something easy and consistent that you can do. So whatever... There's really no wrong answer, right? Whatever is important to you is something that you could be consistent and keep on with. So there's lots of different options out there. Don't get bogged down with all the the doom and gloom because there's a lot of it. But there's lots of different ways that you can make an impact, you know, that's that's much bigger than you think. So I don't have a specific one to tell you to do, but... Figure out what's important to you as a person, and that's the one you're going to be able to make the biggest difference on. I think that's a perfect message. I know um, on Wavemakers, we really try to, to find those optimistic points of view, because otherwise it's very easy to get, get down with all the problems, but there are so many neat solutions, and I think your advice is perfect. That's going to be my t- big takeaway from today. Do what you know, fits with you because that's a more sustainable thing to do. You'll keep up with it. You'll make those small incremental changes that make a big difference. I think you guys are setting, um, you guys being net your problem. You, um, you, Nicole Baker, the whole team is making an impact just by showing that this is a possibility. This is a part of what we need to do to tackle this plastic issue. And I'm so glad you got the ear of some of those senators and 
spoke to them about what you're trying to achieve and what they can do to help. Sarah, how do we reach Net Your Problem? What can the, the average listener do to reach you or if there's anybody listening that's from ports, fishing villages or what have you, or maybe even potential partners, what can they do? Yeah, we're, we're all over social media, Net Your Problem. Our website is netyourproblem.com. Our phone numbers are on there. Uh, yeah, like I said, relationship building is one of the important things that we need to make this a success. So please reach out, ask us questions. Let us know if you have an extra forklift you want to donate. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. If you have any asks, please feel free. Is there anything pressing that you guys are in need of right now? Uh, we, we're always looking to expand our network of recyclers, right? Because we're expanding in locations and we want to keep transportation costs as low as we can. You know, the amount of emissions that it takes to get this stuff to where it needs to be. So anybody in the recycling space that's interested in doing some R&D with us and, and working with this material to find new new ways to reuse it would be awesome. Fantastic. Well, we'll have you and your contact info linked on the website at Coastal News Today. So excited to have spoken to you. Thank you for just having a great conversation. And I think it's a super interesting topic on uh, that maybe isn't at the forefront of people's minds when you think about fishing, even though plenty of us really like fish. So thanks very much for joining me today, Sarah. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you to the listeners and again to American Shoreline Podcast Network. As always, you can reach me at Instagram at Lady Blue Tech. Let me know if you're interested in sponsoring an episode or if you know of another innovative ocean technology that's making some waves. Mm-hmm.